0: Turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind, with beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com myths for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code myths to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Quick disclaimer, I mentioned a certain part of the male anatomy more than usual this week. Absolutely not in any suggestive way, but check out the post on mythpodcast.com if that's concerning. This week, on Myths and Legends, there are three stories of the tanuki, the legendary trickster from Japan, and we'll learn that you shouldn't trust a legendary trickster, or if you do, only do so after you try to set them on fire. The creature this week is a fearsome critter from Maine, who's 50% bear, 50% moose, and 100% an excuse for why you're bad at your job. This is Myths and Legends, episode 178, Changes. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. We're back in Japan, and today's episode is all about tanukis The tricky little raccoon dogs, who are both a real animal in Japan and a mythological creature. They're shapeshifters, tricksters, and possessors of massive testicles. I know that sounds oddly specific, but it's one of their defining traits, and to save you a Google, and some problematic targeted advertising, I compiled a list of public domain depictions of the creature on the post at mythpodcast.com. I linked it in the show notes. Anyway, we did have them as a creature a while back, but because I love tricksters and was looking for something a little lighter this week after the Trojan War, and also because I've been playing Animal Crossing on the Switch, I decided that they really needed their own episode. So, today we're going to jump in on Sato Island, the home of the Tanuki and meet the Tanuki commander, getting his reports from mainland Japan. So, you've come across the sea to Tanuki Island. How was is your crossing, you who are an animal? The Tanuki nodded, lowering his hood, which was his scrotum stretched over his head that he used as a raincoat. His crossing was good. But unfortunately, the same can't be said of the tanukis on the mainland. Especially of Terrence Tanuki. The lead tanuki looked to the ground. That crazy old tanuki that married a fox? How was Terrence Tanuki? Visitor sighed. Not good. Not good at all. Terence Tanuki and his wife, Carrie Kitsune, hit the ground. Terence looked at his wife. She heard it too, right? The twang of the bowstring, the Kitsune watched the field mouse, who didn't even know they were there, disappear into the leaves. She would have cried, but it would have made too much noise. The world was coming for them. The magic and wonder of the old times was leaving the world. Not in a sinister, Shrek-like rounding up of fairy tale creatures, but as the forests and the dark places of the world were explored, mapped, and settled, there were fewer places for magical creatures to hide. Some left for distant lands. Others, like some of the kitsune, fell in among the humans, deceiving them and hiding in plain sight. Others simply accepted the changing world and lived in what bit of yesterday remained until they died. Terrence Tanuki, and his wife, the Kitsune, though, were fighters. Well, not fighters in the literal, or even figurative sense. They were really more of, hiders. They knew they couldn't take a human hunter in a straight fight. Though, no Tanuki or Kitsune could ever really be accused of fighting a straight fight. The first time, decades ago, that they had found a human field dressing to kill in the forest, it was something of a curiosity. Humans never came out that far, and for a week, both Terence and his wife took the form of humans, laughing at their soft, hairless, ape-like features. If only things had stayed that way. Over the following months and years, the forests where the Chinooki and the Kitsune lived were overrun. The mythical borderlands between the known and the unknown, the farms and the mountains, it was shattered and their realm of magic and strangeness was driven further and further back. Even the Oni and the Tengu were pushed deep into the mountains. The times they were a-changing. But Terence the Tanuki and Carrie the Kitsune persisted. They were two of the most legendary tricksters of Japanese folklore. They could walk among the humans as if they were one of them. They were the only two animals in all of Japanese folklore that were naturally magical while a cat or a weasel would have to wait until they were old to be able to gain magical ability. The fox and the tanuki knew magic from the moment they were born. They had been ready for this their whole life. They would be fine, they thought, until they saw just how many humans there were, and just how much they consumed as they pushed, relentlessly, into the unknown. They saw too many of their friends die by the weapons of the humans, as their priests pressed further into the forest, revealing the mythical monsters hiding among them. Now, it was only Terence Tanuki, his wife, the Kitsune, and their son. They were all that remained, and they wouldn't remain that much longer. They came home to find Terry Tanuki, their son, waiting by a boiling pot of water. By the way, this appears to be Bojack Horseman rules when it comes to interspecies procreation. The child is either one of the species or the other in the coupling, not some hybrid. Terry Tanuki is a Tanuki. When Terry, the son, saw the empty paws of his parents, his shoulders slumped. No magic could fill what was empty here. They were out of food. They were starving. And they were going to die. Then, Terrence Tanuki, the father, snapped his finger. He knew what he would do. He would sell himself to be skinned. His family gasped, and he nodded. That sounded worse than it was. Actually, his wife would sell him to be skinned. She would transform into a human man, sling him over her shoulder, and take him into town. He would escape later. He was a tricky guy. His wife, the fox, nodded. Yeah. Tanuki skins typically fetched a high price. The scrotum skin alone was extremely tough. If you wrapped a piece of gold in it and hammered the gold, legend says it would multiply. Terrence Tanuki, the father, grimaced. Yeah, he knew that. Can we not talk about harvesting that part of my body? I'll get away. Don't worry about it. But Carrie Kitsune did worry about it. She loved her husband. She said that they could find more food. He was irreplaceable. The father shook his head. That's the thing. They couldn't find more food. Not here. This was the plan. He would take the risk. Besides, humans are stupid they would be fine. Hello, the hunter said to the trader in town. I'm stupid stupid human with weirdly hairless body and useless flat teeth. I have procured found a handsome tanuki to you for two skin. Please give money for him now. The definitely human hunter said with a grin. Nailed it. The man looked at the stranger. That was weird. He looked down at the tanuki lying on the table. Not breathing. Tongue out. Legs sticking up straight in the air. He appeared to be very dead, like over the top dead. Still, he was a tanuki. Finding one of these things was rare. And managing to kill and sell one was even rarer. He would be rich. He handed the odd hunter way too little for the creature which the hunter gladly accepted and used to buy food, and the man disappeared back into the forest. The trader quickly took the tanuki body back home. Can't have that just sitting at his stand. It would get stolen. The tanuki easily wiggled out of the window and laid in a ditch until after dusk. When it was safe to continue on back home, when he made it, he found his family celebrating. They had a full larder for the first time in years. Of course, Things were only good for a short while, and without any way to replenish the food, the pantry was bare again. So, the wife had an idea. It was her turn. She would pretend to be dead, and Terence Tanuki, the father, would deliver her into town. She wouldn't make as much as a Tanuki, but if he spent the money right, they would be able to live for months with the food divided between the three of them. So, the next morning, Terence, in the form of a human man, sauntered into town with a dead fox slung over his shoulder. He set her down gently on the table in front of the buyer, and then a smile spread across his face. The tanuki was more wily than the fox, and, at the end of it all, came away with more money than she had gotten for him. It was enough for three animals to live for months in plenty, or enough for one animal to live for years. As Terrence slipped the money into his pocket, he pulled the buyer aside. He said that this fox, he suspected that she wasn't dead. He was just letting the buyer know so that his new investment didn't run off. The fox on the table didn't hear any of this. Terrence didn't look back as he heard the mad scramble of his wife's final moments, as he heard the merchant catch her by the neck, take out his club, and not relent until the fox stopped moving. Terrence smiled, and went to buy some food. You know, I've been thinking, it's time for you to make your own way in the world. Terrence announced, when he came back home, pulling a cart full of food. Terry, the son, looked up at his dad, but but he had so much food... Terrence nodded. Yep, and Terrence said it belonged to himself and Terry's mother, not Terry. It was their scam, and if Terry wanted to, he could go out and earn his own food. And if he couldn't trick the humans, maybe he could eat nuts and berries like an animal, until he worked his way up to it. Terry couldn't even fathom this. They were a family, a team. Mom was going to hear about this. This wasn't fair. Terence turned to his son and smiled. Certainly. When his mother came home, they would continue this discussion, but the mother never came home first one night, then the next. then the son, Terry, went in secret to town one night. So look in the home he remembered from his father's story, but he only saw the merchant and his family living there in peace. No sign of a fox. maybe she left us. Terence said with a shrug. Terence then shook his head. No, no, she would never leave him. They were husband and wife. He turned to his young son. Must have been you. Probably your incessant questions. That's so sad. How you drove your mother away. I hope she's okay. Uh, Why would you do that? Terry tried to hold back his tears, but refused to believe his father. He remembered his mother and father when things were good. When they were a family. He remembered the times with his mother. She would never leave him. Not willingly. A chill ran down his little tanuki spine as he watched his father continue to gorge himself on all the food he had gotten as part of their con. That's when Terry knew. His father had done it. Terry looked his father up and down. The tanuki was big. He was more powerful and knew more magic than Terry, who only ever learned from his mother, the kitsune. Terry needed to be very careful. So, of course... He blurted out that he knew magic. Terence, mid-bite, put the cake down. Pardon? Terry, the son, nodded. Yep, mom taught him magic. He was probably as good of a wizard as his father. His father laughed. Wait, Terry was serious? No, wait, what? Terry stood there, nodding. Terence took a deep breath. Okay, if he was such a big tanuki, they should have a wager the little son could change himself into any shape he liked, and Terence Tanuki would know his son. Terence would wait by the bridge that led over the river, and when his son passed by, he would let him know that, no matter what he did, he could never hide. Never. Terry, the son, swallowed hard. Cool. Nothing ominous and scary about that, but yes, he would take the bet. If he lost, he would leave home forever, and if he won, his father had to split the takes on all future scams with him. After all, they were a family. Terence nodded and smiled. Sure, he could do that. And if that happened, he would love to start taking his son along. Just like his mother. Terry forced a smile and scampered off toward the bridge. He said he needed time to get ready. He was preparing a good one. When Terence Tanuki arrived at the bridge, he shook. there, Coming toward him was an entire entourage. It was a daimyo, kind of like a Japanese earl or lord, traveling on the road in a magnificent carriage. Terence blinked. Of course, of course his son would be this powerful. He was a tanuki that had been trained by Kitsune. He, he had to be stopped. Terence swaggered out into the road and opened the carriage door. He shook his head. He had heard of Tanuki's doing transformations this complex, but he thought they were old stories. This, this was true magic. Terence wouldn't live long with this boy in the world. Terence took a seat across from his son in the form of the daimyo and grinned. He said he found his son. The man only looked at him. Terry, I said I found you. Jigs up, son, come on. Just then, a waving caught the father Tanuki's eyes. He looked out and saw Terry waving at him from the trees. He turned back to the daimyo. (laughs) Ha, good one. I thought I saw you. Oh, no. The daimyo, who up until this point had been frozen by the shock of a wild animal letting himself into the carriage, taking a seat and talking to him, screamed, and his guards stopped the carriage and came running. Terrence tried to explain as they threw open the doors, skewered the wild animal, and chucked him off a bridge into the river. As Terry stood there, watching his father drown, he nodded. It was finished. His mother had been avenged. It's said that we don't know what happened to Terry Tanuki. Some say he's still out there, sometimes causing mischief, but mostly just trying to survive. We'll see how the Chinookie commander takes the news of Terence Tanuki. But that will be right after this. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. Have a lot of time on your hands? I'm hearing that people do. We don't. But now is an awesome time to start a new project. Something you can do at home, whether it's publishing content, showcasing your work, photography, writing, whatever it is. Squarespace is the tool that you can use to turn your dream into a reality. Honestly, it is so easy. We have a couple different Squarespace sites for projects in the works, and they just look fantastic from the word go. Their templates are made by world-class designers, and it shows. But it doesn't look like a cookie-cutter site, unless you're selling cookie-cutters, in which case you can take advantage of their e-commerce functionality but really just about anything is customizable with a few clicks so you have your site it's so easy to get running and keep it running because there's never anything to patch or upgrade ever domains are easy and if you do get stuck squarespace has 24/7 award winning customer support head to squarespace.com/myths for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use the offer code myths to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain That's squarespace.com slash myths, offer code myths. The Tanuki commander looked down. Wow. Terrence Tanuki dead. And all this because he married a kitsune. An evil, evil kitsune. The Tanuki all around the commander looked to each other. That wasn't the takeaway here. Also, they were in Japan. In Japanese folklore, unlike the Kumiho of Korea, the Kitsune weren't purely evil. You know why there aren't any Kitsune on Sato Island? The commander interrupted. The tanuki around him sighed, yes, but he was going to tell them anyway, wasn't he? They all settled into beanbag chairs made out of their massive, you know, and heard the story that they had heard so many times before. So I was out one night, having a good time in the form of a nobleman. You know how some of us can take leaves and then make them into golden leaves for a short time? Well, I spent a whole night at this brothel, spending a ton of gold leaves, and I was gone before they turned back to regular leaves in the morning. Anyway, I get to the boat to Sato Island the next morning, one step ahead of the authorities, as always, and there's this beautiful woman waiting for me. We smelled each other and knew. She was a kitsune, and I was a tanuki. She said the humans were pushing farther and farther out into the wilderness. She needs a new home and wanted to try an island, but she couldn't swim. I said, say no more. Come to Sato Island. I paid for a boat. There's plenty of room for you and your weird fox people, but I wanted to soften the blow when I arrived. So I had her turn into my hat. I said, I'm a progressive tanuki, but the old guard still thinks there's bad blood between the tanuki and the kitsune, so turn into a hat. I'll wear you, and then once I've softened them up a bit, you can reveal yourself. It'll be great. On the ride across, as soon as we were out of the harbor, though, I took off the hat and flung it into the water. It transformed back into a fox, and two dozen yellow eyes watching me from the shadow of the shore spread the reason why you shouldn't try to go to Sato Island. That's why, to this day, there are no foxes on Sato Island. That's a true story. The other tanuki rose. Cool, yep. Fun hearing that story for the 50th time. Anyway, there was news from the south. From that Chinookie who got into that feud with the farmer. The Chinooki boss nodded. And how was that going? Good? Great? They took a deep breath. Well... Every afternoon, the hare would stop by. And the farmer would take a break from his work, come to the spot, and the two would share a snack. It had been going for years. And for years, it had been going well. Until one day. One day, a grinning tanuki walked up. Saw the man and the rabbit just finishing up their food and getting ready to go. And sat down. Hey, what are we eating, guys? He asked. And the farmer apologized. He was just leaving. The hare, too. He had to finish up his day's work and get home to his wife, and the hare had to do hair stuff he didn't know. So sorry, though. They were here every day, though. So if the tanuki wanted to hang out, they'd be here. So the next day, the tanuki returned and held out his paw. Oh, so the free snacks weren't an everyone thing. He didn't bring one for the whole class, just their cool little club here. The farmer said it wasn't anything personal, but he was just a peasant farmer, and the hare was just a tiny hare. The hare didn't eat much, and he'd been doing this for years, and the farmer barely had enough to eat as it was. But the tanuki, he wouldn't hear it. He got up, turned his back on the pear, and walked off. You think he's mad? The farmer asked the hare. The animal bit into the carrot. Oh, he's absolutely mad, but he's a tanuki. What's he going to do? Well, when the farmer returned home, he found out exactly what the tanuki could do, in their absence. While the husband was out working in the fields and the wife was out back, they found the tanuki prints leading up to their house and the food in the house either eaten or trampled on the ground so no one could enjoy it. Every day after that, that, the farmer sat down with his buddy, the hare, he would see that same tanuki walking along the road to his house and he had to book it back home to keep the creature from destroying everything. I'm going to kill that tanuki that keeps hanging around here, the peasant said to his hare buddy one afternoon. The hare took a bite and said, Look, I'm a prey animal, so am I thrilled about my best friend hunting another creature? I have to say no. Would it be nice if that tanuki was no longer here because he's really cutting into our hanging around time? Absolutely. Do with that information what you will. Ah, there he is. I have to get home, the farmer said. The hare stopped him. Wait, tanukis are notoriously tricky. If you're actually going up against this thing, Be careful. The farmer nodded. He would. Besides, like the hare said, it's just a little raccoon dog. How dangerous could it be? It only took two days of lying in wait by the road for the farmer to jump out, tackle the chinookie, and bind him up. The farmer was scratched up and down, and the chinookie snapped at him, but there was nothing that could be done. The farmer won. The chinookie went from threats to bargaining to silence. When the farmer arrived back home, his wife was pounding out the rice. And he said that he finally got the tanuki that had been ransacking their house. He was going to get some wood for a fire, and they'd skin him, eat him, and sell the skin. They'd make so much money. You know they actually used to make wallets out of tanuki scrotums? The wife, sweating while pounding out the rice, asked if there was such a thing as too much testicle talk. Because I think we're getting there with this episode. The farmer tied the tanuki upside down to a beam and left the house. As soon as he was gone, the Tanuki started groaning. Hey, old woman, mind freeing me? He rolled the dice. Probably wouldn't happen, but it never hurt to ask. It didn't happen. She ignored him, so he approached things from a different angle. I promise not to escape. Oh, and I'll pound out your rice for you. Rice pounding is very tiring work and not fit at all for weak women. The woman paused to catch her breath and wiped her brow. Okay, she wasn't thrilled about his casual sexism, but it would be really nice to have some help. This was really hard. She did hate pounding on a whole week's worth of rice in one afternoon. She thought about it. Could she accept the word of a creature known for his cruel deception? Yes. Yes, she could. She loosened the tanuki's bonds. The old woman looked down at her husband. So, how was that tanuki soup? The old man gulped down the last bowl, chewing on that, I hear it's kind of gamey and not great tanuki meat. Perfection. The old woman sat. Excellent. Well, now is the perfect time to have this discussion. How did he feel about being an omnivore? The husband cocked an eyebrow. This was a weird discussion to be having after 50 years of marriage, but good? He didn't really think about it all that much. So you don't have a problem then eating creatures. Even self-aware creatures like that tanuki. The way fast. The man pointed to an empty bowl. Obviously he didn't. He just ate pretty much the entire tanuki. The wife stood and her clothes dropped to the ground. She had vanished. Except she hadn't. The husband looked to the pile of clothes, and there, in the center, was the tanuki. Well, if you don't have a problem eating sentient, self-aware creatures, then you should be absolutely fine knowing that you just ate your own wife. The farmer could barely speak. Those things weren't equivalent. What what was happening? The tanuki sighed. Seriously? He was mad about being tricked into consuming his own wife after the tanuki murdered her? What a hypocrite. Anyway, come after me and you'll get worse. See you around, he said and ducked out the door. Oh, and her bones are underneath the floor. Bye. The husband didn't chase the tanuki. He didn't curse the creature. He didn't plot revenge. His wife, the only person he had in the world, had died a violent death at the hands of the tanuki. And he, oh no, he vomited and for the next hour, all that could be heard coming from the cottage were the sounds of wailing and vomiting. It was so loud that the hare heard it, not too far off. He came to the door of his friend who, through sobs, told the hare everything. His beloved was dead, and the tanuki had done it. The hare forced his way in, and the farmer didn't resist. The hare went to the man's table and made a paste, sprinkling it with hot peppers. He grabbed the man's axe, and said that he was going to pay a visit to the tanuki. He'd be back. The hare, axe in hand, went straight to the tanuki's door. When the tanuki answered, he was met with a very pleasant rabbit that wanted to hang out. His human friend had bailed on him the last couple of meetups without any word, so he was done with the guy. He asked if the tanuki wanted to go hang out and chop some wood. Now, this wasn't usually a fun thing to do, but the hare knew the tanuki. The tanuki was eyeing the farmer's axe, which, yeah, was a pretty good tool, not flimsy at all. He wanted that axe. He happily agreed, and the pair went on their way. They cut some wood and, ah, oh, wouldn't you know it, the hare got tired after so much chopping. Would the tanuki mind carrying the wood that they chopped and the axe? The tanuki, as predictable as he was ruthless, saw only the free firewood and the axe that he could steal. You know what? Sure, he would help out a friend. As they were walking back, the hare lit a match and tossed it on the wood, piled on the tanuki's back. Hey, what's that crackling sound? The one behind me, it's like, I don't know, a fire? The Chinookie asked. The hare shook his head. Nothing, just the rattle of stones which are rolling down the side of the mountain. The tanuki nodded. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah how normal that they would be going so constantly and so close. No need to look behind me. This went on, with the hare giving the standard response all of us give when we're trying to set someone on fire until the tanuki's back fur caught. The creature apparently knew to stop, drop, and roll, but didn't manage before the fur was completely obliterated by the fire and his skin badly burned. He laid outside the house, howling in agony, and the hare comforted him, the tanuki, still smoking and in an intense pain, didn't put together that the hare had lit him on fire and was only grateful that the hare had all that medicine available. Yes, please rub it into his back, rub it in deep. The hare was far enough away when the screaming really started, when the hot peppers he rubbed into the chinuki's back took effect. He made it back to the farmer's house as the man was burying the bones of his wife in the yard. The farmer was glad to hear that the Chinookie had been punished it wasn't enough. The creature had ransacked the farmer's house daily because he didn't get a free lunch. How much worse would it be for the farmer and the hare if he lived and came for them now? He had already killed the farmer's wife. The farmer didn't know what else he had to lose. The hare nodded. The farmer was right. All right, here's what they would do. Knock, knock, the hare said finding his way once again to the tanuki's house when he got there though he was not expecting what he saw the tanuki wasn't some monster snarling in the dark some mastermind plotting he was half naked burned a beaten animal shirking from the hare the hare asked how the medicine worked but the tanuki only shuddered at the thought of it the hare shook his head Not well, huh? Ugh, how long had it been since he had eaten? Sitting in the dark, barely able to move, the tanuki said it had been days. He hadn't been able to hunt at night. He was starving. Not anymore. Get up, buddy. We're going fishing, the hare said, helping the tanuki painfully to his feet. I'm not sure why the tanuki would go with the hare again after the animal lit him on fire covered his burns in hot pepper. Maybe he thought the fire was just an accident, and that the hare actually wanted to help with the ointment. Maybe he was starving, and didn't have a choice. But, as he hobbled to the boats, a tanuki might be on death's door, after his trickery went awry, but he's still a tanuki. He saw the bigger boat, in which he could pack more fish than the hare, and knew that, even though the hare was doing him a kindness, he had to win. He jumped in the bigger boat, and said he called this one dibs. The hare shrugged. Sure, he was just doing this to help him. The Chinookie laughed. Sucker. As they rode out, though, something was off about the boat. It floated, but not super well, and it gave kind of a weird, high-pitched pinging sound when he knocked against it. When they were far enough from the bank, the Chinookie saw the hare's boat coming toward him, and though it was painful, he waved the creature off. The fish wouldn't bite if they were both fishing in this area. But the hare didn't stop. He simply kept rowing toward the creature, and when he was close enough, without a hint of emotion in his eyes, he took out his staff and cracked the side of the tanuki's boat. That's when the tanuki realized the reason why the boat felt so weird was because it was made of clay. I guess a special type of clay that floats. And the hare had just broken it in half. The pieces cracked and dropped as the tanuki dipped under. He knew enough about swimming to stay afloat, but only that much, and even that much wouldn't do when he was so burned. He needed help. It was then that the hare extended his staff, and the tanuki grabbed it. But the hare wasn't giving the creature a staff to help. He told the tanuki that this was for the farmer's wife wide-eyed, the last thing the tanuki saw, before he went under, was the hare's staff finding his head, and gently, yet firmly, pushing him beneath the water. The hare held the tanuki for a few minutes after he stopped moving, thought about it, and gave it another 10, just to be sure. He rode to the shore, found his friend the farmer, and told him that his wife had been avenged. The farmer and the hare lived together in peace for the rest of their days. Oh, well, isn't that great for the hare and the farmer? The tanuki boss sneered. Okay, new proclamations going out today. One, we have to learn to swim, you guys. This is ridiculous. Two prominent tanukis dead by drowning? And two, don't be so predictable. We love to trick, we love to take advantage of people, but seriously, mix it up. It's only because the hare knew that the tanuki would go for the most malicious option every time, from the axe to the wood to the boat, that he had any power. Guys, that was a hare. We eat those all the time, this was rookie stuff. The commander of the tanuki turned to the ones from mainland Japan. Any good news out there, or is it just our guys getting killed? One raised his hand. One guy was doing pretty well, actually. Cushy spot in a temple and all. The lead tanuki nodded. Excellent. Let's hear his story. What's his deal? The reporting tanuki took a deep breath. Well, he was a little teapot. The priest looked on the teapot that he had bought at the thrift store. His acolytes said that the thing came to life last night. That it was secretly a tanuki and it was only when they started beating the animal, very in character for Buddhist priests, that the thing reverted back to its teapot form. Now, the priest was staring with incredulity. Sure, this was a Buddhist temple, where everything that could come to life in Japanese folklore did. And sure, one of his priestly buddies had a run-in with a chanuki in episode 26, but the priest still had to see for himself. He put the teapot on the fire, and the chanuki, despite disguising himself as a teapot, couldn't take the heat, and leapt from the fire, running around the temple, and leaving broken items in the stench of singed hair in his wake. It was only when the acolytes jumped in, and started beating the creature, that they found their sticks clanged against metal once again. It was back to being a teapot. The priest wanted a teapot, but honestly, with the thousand other mythological threats that they faced at the temple, it was just too risky to keep the thing around. He sold it to a passing tinkerer, who was delighted, not scared, by the story of the tanuki, and happily took it off the priest's hands. It was that night, when the tinkerer awoke to something shaking him, that he was a little less sure of his decision. The teapot had sprouted a face, legs, and a tail. He leapt up and screamed that it was a tengu, a goblin. But the teapot comforted him. Really, bud, no. He was a tanuki, like, That whole conversation earlier today, The none of that stick? Anyway, since the tinkerer wasn't freaking out or getting a rod with which to beat the tanuki, he could tell that the tinkerer was a good guy. Low bar. And the tanuki liked to help good people. The tinkerer nodded and got the tanuki something to smoke, as is depicted in the early 20th century children's book. That one, thankfully, is devoid of the tanuki's most noteworthy physical attribute. The tinkerer asked if he should put the tanuki in the fire or keep him in a box and the tanuki had to wonder if the guy was even paying attention. No, just, like, keep him as a pet, and they'd be fine. The tanuki would do whatever the tinkerer wanted. Teapot-related. He would take one form and one form only. Teapot. That, apparently, was non-negotiable. So, the teapot and the tinkerer enjoy the feast together, and, at the prompting of the teapot over sake, decided that they should go on the road together. A show with the teapot doing tricks. There'd be singing, music, you know, really do it up. And they did. And it did very well. It had singing, dancing, and a sentient teapot walking on a tightrope and asking people for money. Really, everything a good show has to have. Their renown spread so far that they were invited to the palace of the emperor. Eventually, the tinkerer grew so rich that he and the tanuki teapot didn't have to perform anymore he donated a large amount of his wealth to the temple at Morinji, in addition to the teapot tanuki, on the guarantee that it could just hang out and relax, that no one would set it on fire, or, you know, beat it with sticks ever again. And the teapot is reportedly still at the temple of Morinji, along with the statues of 20 plus tanuki, commemorating the many different versions of the story. I posted a link on mythpodcast.com if you wanted to see the temple. Guys, that, that is awesome, the boss tanuki clapped. The tanuki got rich, got respect and admiration, and is now venerated in a temple. Guys, new plan. Let's not be evil. We can be tricksters, but like, let's live among the humans. We can easily take their forms, and they have great trash to live on. We're going to start changing our image. We're going to be jovial pranksters, not murderous con artists. The other Chinookis spoke up. Could they, like, still mess with the humans? The boss Chinooki laughed. Uh, yeah, what was the point of anything if they didn't mess with the humans? But, like, lighter stuff. Like pretending to be priests or nobles to get feasts, or getting people lost in the forest. How about we follow this rule of thumb? If it's gonna get you set on fire, don't do it! There exists a known world and an unknown for the humans. And the Chinookis would live in that ambiguity straddling both worlds. We'll be the go-to explanation for strange things, but not overtly malicious. From now on, we're not going to be the demons haunting the forest. We're going to be happy, jovial little guys, smiling with one hand on our straw hats and the other on our massive bottles of sake. It's funny. Tanookis are known today as these kind of tipsy, jovial tricksters. Not wholly benign, but not murderously malicious either. But the big stories that kept popping up, the one we told in episode 26 and the two longer ones we told today, were stories of them being absolutely the worst. And they were kind of the only full, full stories I could find. The end one today, the little fairy tale about the teapot one, that's one of the more popular ones, but was really the only full story I could find about a good tanuki. That and the framing narrative. That particular boss tanuki, whose name I listed on the post, does actually give up being malicious. So I felt like this was a good way to communicate both sides of the tanuki. And yeah, nowadays, the murderous con artist always looking for the worst option is really not who the tanuki are anymore. They are absolutely the fun, sometimes tipsy, rotund raccoon dogs who are either getting you lost in the forest or giving interest-free loans on their own private islands. Also, full disclosure, in the first story, Terrence Tanuke, Kari Kitsune, and Terry Tanuki were names given by me so I could differentiate between the characters. They are not in the original. If you'd like to support the show, there are lots of ways. First, by just doing what you're doing. Listening. Thank you so much. You could also tell a friend if you want, and you can support the show monetarily by the membership on the site or through our store. There are links in the show notes if you're interested. The creature this time is the Tote Road Shagamal, a fearsome critter from Maine in the US. As we've talked about, fearsome critters are the creatures that lumberjacks talked about, but definitely didn't make up in their camps in the late 19th century and early 20th century. The Tote Road Shagamal is like a very Maine fawn, a fawn being the Greek mythological creature that's half human, half goat, with the human upper half and the goat lower half. The Shagamal is like that, but with a moose lower half and a black bear upper half. It originated because, when people were following the tracks in the forest, suddenly those tracks would disappear. Those people were either not as great at hunting and tracking as they thought, or this was a completely new mythological creature that existed solely to mess up their hunting. Definitely the latter. We don't know much about the Tote Road Shag and all. It will walk for a quarter mile, or 440 steps, on its moose legs, and then switch it up, walking another 440 steps doing a handstand on its bare feet, It's called the Tote Road Shagginal because it almost exclusively travels down Tote Roads, the unpaved roads used primarily for hauling supplies to lumber camps. Its obsession with Tote Roads and lumber camps is not only to mess with the smug superiority of people who thought they knew its forest, but because of a hunger. At night, it would invade the lumber camps, and in the morning, the lumberjacks would find the carnage, the result of its hunt all their flannel shirts were gone. Yeah, apparently the shaganol subsists solely on a diet of flannel. It was spotted exactly once by a man known as Gus Demo out of Old Town, Maine. He followed the creature, counting its steps and watching it switch after 440 steps each, going up to do a handstand on its bare arms and then back down to its moose legs. Gus surmised that the creature only walked so far because it wasn't smart enough to count over that strangely specific number. Which, you know, maybe it's not smart enough. But also, the Shagamal didn't have to make up a mythological creature to explain why it was bad at tracking. So, point Shagamal. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There's a list of even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to SimpliSafe for sponsoring us this week. With all the uncertainty in the world, now is the time to protect your home with SimpliSafe. There's no technician or salesperson that needs to come to your home, just order online and set it up yourself. You don't need to pay any outrageous monthly fees, or sign a two-year contract. Your home is protected 24-7 with emergency dispatch, all for just 50 cents a day. Head to simplysafecom legends get free shipping and a 60-day money back guarantee at simplysafe.com/legends. All right, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.